Hey, and welcome once again to the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dillon Thomas, and today we are going to talk about system justification uh, theory. This is kind of like the big bad that we've been like leading up to all season. I feel like I've mentioned it a hundred times because it keeps poking its head in here and there. This whole season's been about social biases, and they're kind of the most, you know, pernicious and relevant right now uh, with politics and all. And we're going to get into that, but... Um, System justification theory is basically the idea of uh, we like what we got, right, even if it hurts us. So the system that we have, capitalism, democracy, whatever your government is, whatever your system that you're living in, whether it hurts you or helps you, at the end of the day, it's your system and you love it, right or wrong. We like to defend what exists. And uh, John T. Jost is a guy who's been studying this for a really long time, now I more or less coined the term, and I'm going to link to a pretty good overview article he's created about a lot of the research he's done over done on it over the years. Um, but it's this basic, you know, fundamental notion that people want to believe in the social order, even if you're harmed by it. And this affects things like criminal justice reform, the Green New Deal, capital finance reform, wage gaps for women, uh, climate change. Like, all these things are hard to move the needle on because we kind of like the system we got. And if the system we got if if anything needs to change about the system, we're 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 unlikely to really want that. Um, you see this in officer involved shootings. Um, when I took the um, the IAT in the last episode, the implicit um, association test, I actually forgot to mention one of the tests I took was around weapons in black people, and I came out as um, associating weapons with black people more and and. Uh, you know, unoffensive, harm, harmless objects with, with white people more. Um, and again, I'm black, right? <laughs> I know better. Um, but, you know, my implicit reaction, you know, was to make those associations. And when you look at the, the results and, and read the literature, they talk about, you know, the IAT folks talk about the fact that, look, like this, you know, no going in here that black people, you know, people of color tend to favor white people implicitly when they take this test. Um, and we talked a little bit about that last time, but it's that same system justification bias coming into into play there. It's this notion that the disadvantaged will favor the advantaged, especially, especially if it's something implicit that you don't really have time to think about. Um, and there's a word for this. It's called outgroup favoritism. Um, and it's something that's kind of the opposite of what we've been talking about for a lot of the season, things like in-group uh, bias, where like you think you're the group you're a part of is the shit and everybody else is terrible. Well, weirdly, when you get into these situations where the system kind of favors one group over the other, the group that's being favored um, will benefit from outgroup bias and the group that isn't favored. So, you know, dark-skinned people favoring light-skinned people, you know, implicitly, um, because the society is rewarding that group more. Um, and it's also kind of related to just world hypothesis, which we did an episode a little ways back, and it's my least favorite bias, the one I hate the most, because it does sort of justify all sorts of terrible, terrible behavior. Well, imagine that taken to sort of like justify a system as opposed to some general sense of right and wrong. It's not so much as, you know, justice will always prevail because the world is a good place. It's more that justice will always prevail because the system is good and it always rewards what it's supposed to reward. We don't need to change it. And part of this is just wanting to believe that our government is legitimate, wanting to believe that our government is fair, that the... the the system that we live in is fair. It's it's easier, right? It's like it feels better to believe that than than to walk around, you know, knowing that you know things something is wrong with the world. 
Um, and you start to see how things like fair market ideology or libertarianism, like they start to become very, you know, tempting in this way, because that's kind of what they're offering up is this notion of this is the one way and it's, you know, and it's right and it's good. Meritocracies, right? We like to believe that we live in a meritocracy uh, or just even in that notion. Um, and even ironically in a democracy, you do have, you know, the belief that um, some people have the belief that um, some people should have more power than others, way more power than others, way more wealth than others. Like when you kind of put it to the test, people will, you know, very few people will sort of say, oh, everyone should have the exact same amount of money. Everyone should have the exact same amount of power. There's this uh, social dominance theory that people can sort of scale on, like how much they align to just basically the notion that, hey, there should be hierarchy, right? Even within my own group, there should be hierarchy. Um, and taken to kind of an extreme, you get this, you know, people who talk about like the natural order of things. Ever hear that phrase referred to um, in terms of like one group being more powerful than another? Um, and uh, system justification theory kind of borrows a little from uh, Marxist feminist theory, uh, a concept called false consciousness, which has to do with this notion that, you know, if you're the, the in group, right, the group, the group in power, well, that's that's preordained, right? You're supposed to be in power like my group you know, the, the Aryans or whoever are, are just meant by destiny or by God or by the universe that wants us to prevail. You know, you can see this in Manifest Destiny, like the white man was meant to conquer all of the space. It's here for us. Um, so that's sort of the extreme version of this, but it all, it all, it's all of a piece. And what's interesting about this is you can even see it show up very um, subtly in um, almost like liberal notions of like... Uh, poor but happy or poor but honest right versus rich but miserable or rich but but dishonest right and it's this sort of like notion of how we think about poor people versus rich people and that there's some honesty and poverty and some dishonesty and in, 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 in wealth but even that in a subtle way undercuts any notion of the system itself being wrong right it's, it kind of actually kind of supports the system and says yes there should be rich and poor and the rich will be punished by being miserable and the poor will be, you know, rewarded by being honest and happy, right? Like it still upholds the system in this like weird, creepy way. Um, and it's this, uh, the phrase for this is comp compensatory stereotypes, right? It's sort of like saying, yeah, we're stereotyping you, but we're, we're, we're saying you're good for being poor, right? And we're saying you're bad for being rich, so it's okay. Um, but all of that comes back to, at the end of the day, saying the system is just, it should be the way it is. And people, it's interesting, so they would, did an experiment, I'll, I'll link to it in the, in the show notes, but they the, did an experiment where like you would expose people to those phrases, poor but happy, poor but honest, rich but miserable, rich but dishonest, phrases like that, and they would actually score higher on system justification measures after, because you're kind of priming them for that kind of, um, that kind of a response. But it shows you that, that those things are kind of aligned. Now, what's interesting about uh, system justification theory is that it tends to come out more when the system itself is under attack. Um, and like the most extreme version of this might be when it's literally under attack. You know, after 9-11, you saw a lot of people become way more conservative or way more sort of, you know, justifying systems. No one was like fighting wealth inequality right after 9-11, right? Like, um, the, the focus was on like justifying the system. And it was interesting to me to sort of note folks like David Mamet and Dennis, um, Dennis Miller, like who were pretty liberal seeming to me anyway before 9-11 suddenly swinging way conservative afterwards and even some of my own friends I saw this happen with um but you know uh you know when threatened um folks will begin to cling to positive stereotypes about their own group and, and negative stereotypes around maybe lower status groups. And so you can see this play out, you know, with extreme versions like 9-11, but even with sort of, you know, 
um, groups that are, you know, underrepresented, trying to find groups even more underrepresented to kind of look down on when the going gets rough. So there's a great example of this in the movie Mississippi Burning, where uh, Gene Hackman tells a story about his father, right? And his father basically, um, you know, poisons (laughs) uh, his black neighbor's, you know, land. And um, uh, the upshot of it being that when asked about it, the white father, right, the poor white father, right, um, the poor uneducated white father says, well, if you're not better than a, you know, insert N-word here, um, who are you better than, right? And it's this notion of, like, I need someone to kind of oppress, of someone to feel better than, I need to feel good about my status group and feel worse about some lower status group. Um, and at no point in any of this are you questioning the system that put you in those groups, right? <laughs> it's the system is fine. What I got to do is look down on this other group over here. Um, so even when disadvantaged, right, uh, by the system, you'll still, rather than question the system, you'll just say, look for other groups to suppress. So this, this, this goes so far as to even the disadvantaged, right, might criticize protest, right? Again, rather than to fight the system that's making the disadvantage, they'll sort of fight people who are trying to fight the system. And I I begin to even wonder if, like, you know, the next frontier in sort of, you know, inequality, uh, the fight for inequality is going to be around things like universal basic income. And I have to wonder, are we going to see a lot of the resistance to universal basic income come from the disadvantaged, from the poor themselves? And historically, there have been moments where the poor have um, uh, fought against, like, wealth redistribution sort of schema, <laughs> like, you know, policies that might distribute wealth more evenly. Um, and it's, and I, I can even cop to this, right? I remember a time, and I'm a black person, and, I'm, I, and I've, I've even kind of benefited from this in, 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 at times, but I, there was a time when I was against affirmative action, I think for that very reason, because I believed that affirmative action was an affront to the system, and the system was just. The system was fair, right? I was no longer a slave, I had civil rights, so what else could possibly be wrong that I would need affirmative action to compensate? Um, I have since evolved in my thinking, as they say, and there's some good metaphors out there, by the way, if you are curious, around uh, Monopoly, where if you can imagine playing Monopoly for several years and one one of the players doesn't get to actually um, buy any property for, like, the first 20 rounds and then suddenly gets to buy property, well, guess what? All the property's bought, <laughs> right? And, they have, and they're way behind financially than everybody else. Like, extend that metaphor a bit and you'll start to get why things like affirmative action make a lot more sense, but... That's neither here nor there. Well, it's a little bit here. But but again, right, it's the system, like thinking about the system, the Monopoly game versus sort of the, you know, do you believe that's fair or not? Um, and uh, the the extent of this, it goes even further than I imagined. Because um, I can sort of see situations where, you know, even in black America, which is, you know, poor, but by no means the poorest in the world, um, systems coming up where people are like, yeah, I... Uh, I will, I will say that overall, like this, you know, they will blame themselves and not the system for their state or find someone worse off to blame. Um, but this, they, they basically tried to break this theory by literally going to some of the poorest places, you know, they could find. So they go to Bolivia, which was one of, at the time of the study was like the, one of the poorest countries you could possibly go to. And I'm going to read from, I'm going to link to the actual study in the, um, the show notes, but the, um, but reading from the abstract, 
uh, quote, a survey of 356 Bolivian school children found that low-status children endorse beliefs in the effectiveness of government in meeting the people's needs more than their high-status counterparts, right? So the rich get it, or at least more so, that the system is corrupt than the people who are suffering from the corruption. And it's almost the more they are suffering from the corruption, the more likely they are to actually think the system is just, which is crazy, right? But if you think of things like how we reacted to the financial crisis, right? We were pissed for a little bit, but it was this vague sort of abstract pissed-offness, and at the end of the day, we kind of went back to saying, yeah, thanks, cool. You know, like, I mean, we didn't really question, you know, in any fundamental way, like, how things were operating or what the uh, the disparity that, that, you know, that was kind of being exposed there. And by the way, it isn't, you know, because people think they'll be rich one day. I used to, to think this, too, but, like, so far the evidence is not showing this, that the reason, you know, poor people will vote for rich people, right, um, or for policies that benefit the rich um, is because, well, I might be rich one day. So, like, wouldn't it suck if I voted for, like, high taxes on the rich and then I became rich and got taxed really high? They actually sort of tested that theory out and again I'll link to the to the um to the study but they basically asked a bunch of people that and generally speaking people did not in fact think they were going to be rich right and whether or not they thought they were going to be rich did not correlate at all to whether or not they you know displayed the system justification bias um uh, and even if they did think they were going to be rich one day, it didn't necessarily predict whether or not they favored the status quo, right? They could think they were going to be rich and actually think the system sucked. Um, so it wasn't really about that. It was really more about this fundamental belief in the system or need to believe in the system. And, you know, as you might imagine, this benefits the advantaged, right? If you were advantaged um, and you sort of have this belief in the system, like you're going to feel pretty good about yourself because you're benefiting from the system and the system is good. If, on the other hand, you're disadvantaged and you still believe in the system, you're going to have all this, you know, tension around um, the system is good and the system subjugates me. Like, what does that make you think about yourself, right? And you see higher levels of depression and anxiety and stress, right, in groups like that. And to... Try to tie it all together, right? We've talked this season about things like, you know, ego justification. So, so biases that basically make you feel good about yourself. You know, in-group biases, biases that make you feel good about the group you belong to. This is like the natural extension of that, too. This is here to make you feel good about the system that you belong to. Um, and it all comes back to certainty, right? Like, I need to feel good about myself. I need certainty about myself. I need to feel good about the group I'm in. I need to feel certainty about that group. I need to feel good about the system I live in. I need to feel certainty about it, that it's legitimate, that it's fair, right? Anything challenging that means that now there's you've introduced uncertainty, and I hate that, right? And we talked a little bit about this in the letter from Birmingham Jail. Um, so... Uh, at the end of the day, we will throw anyone under the bus for certainty, you know, including ourselves, including our future selves. Um, it's crazy how much we crave that and the lengths we'll go to to get it, even justifying unjust systems. Um, there's also a little bit of cognitive dissonance theory that people talk about to support this. So, you know, cognitive dissonance theory is basically like I don't like to hold particularly competing ideas in my head. So... If the system is unjust and I'm a part of that system or I benefit from it in any way or I'm not actively fighting it, well, then I am unjust. Well, I don't want to be unjust, so therefore it's way easier for me to believe that the system is unjust. 
Um, it can also serve as a coping mechanism, right? You know, if the system is unjust and it's going to do something terrible to me and I have no control over that, right? If the outcome is unavoidable, why fight it? And there's actually studies to support the idea that um, people will think that um, events that are more likely to be more desirable and events that are less likely to be less desirable, right? Um, and it's, it's, it's this weird, like, cart before the horse of just saying, well, if this is going to happen anyway, I might as well believe it's good. <laughs> Right. Um, and I'll link to a study about that. Um, but it, it can even be kind of like triggered. Right. So they will have people write essays about times in their lives that they felt powerless and then kind of rate them on sort of system justification um, kind of uh, bias. And the people who've written about times in their life when they were powerless tended to buy more into system justification than people who had written essays about times where they felt that they had power over somebody else. Um, so it really can be, you know, triggered by this notion of uh, trying to cope with deal dealing with something like a system that you have no control over, where you feel like the outcome is unavoidable. You can't actually change it, so why fight it? Another thing they've looked at along like conservative versus liberal lines is if you are more conservative, regardless of whether you are in a favored group or like a, an unfavored group, right? The more conservative you are, you'll display more in-group bias if you're in the favored group, right? If you're richer, let's say, and conservative. If you're, if you're poor and conservative, you're actually more likely to show out-group favoritism, right? You still like rich people more than poor people, <laughs> even though you're poor. Um, uh, if, you, if you're in that sort of conservative group. And they, they really have been kind of like trying to push to understand, like, are there real, like, true differences, conservative versus liberal, when it comes to stuff like this? And I'm, you know, I'm going to talk a bit here about uh, something called political neuroscience, um, and I'm going to quote, like, direct from, like, the study uh, to try to, you know, keep it honest, because it's really easy for this to turn into, like, you know, conservative brains be like blah, 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 but liberal brains be like blah, 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 like that feels sketchy. <laughs> so I'm only going to stick to what science they've actually written down um, and link to it so you can take a look at yourself. But they did notice like this, right? So um, this is from the abstract for that study. We review behavioral evidence indicating that chronically and temporarily activated needs to reduce uncertainty, ambiguity, threat, and disgust are positively associated with conservatism or negative, negatively associated with liberalism. Studies from neuroscience and genetics suggest that right versus left wing orientation is associated with greater neural sensitivity to threat and larger amygdala volume, as well as less sensitivity to response, conflict, and smaller anterior cingulate volume, right? So they're looking for almost the loci, the location of, you know, conservatism or, or, or not in the brain, right? And this notion that a larger amygdala, amygdala volume, right? And your amygdala is the fear center of your brain. And this kind of correlates to notions of, like, people who have a bigger disgust, like, reflex, like, sort of, you know, um, capacity for disgust tends to lean more conservative than, 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 than not. And what's, where this gets really interesting is it's not simply a matter of people who love the system are conservative, people who hate the system are, are liberal. It's not, it doesn't really break down that way. Um, and in fact, the system can actually be multifaceted, right? So they kind of took it, you know, uh, further going back to like the political implications of system justification bias to look at um, the 2016 election, right? And the narrative around the 2016 election looks something like, you know, people who voted against Hillary voted against Hillary because, in part, 
um, she represented the establishment, right? Whereas Trump represented, you know, something that was fighting the establishment. And to a certain extent, that's true. But when you really like break it down, you get these really interesting results. So again, I'm going to quote from a study uh, from uh, that kind of looked at this. And I'll, again, I'll link to that too. I've got a lot of studies to link to for this one. Um, so it says, quote, at every level of respondent income, and these, they, 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 Sur- excuse me, surveyed people who were voting, you know, who were pro-Trump or pro-Hillary or actually a all, all, all lot of the different candidates and were kind of looking at different factors for what, whether or not they, you know, also displayed system justification bias and what different kinds of system justification that they, um, that they, that they favored. So, uh, so going back to the quote, at every level of respondent income, Trump supporters scored higher on economic and gender specific system justification, right? So they are cool with how the economy, the economic system works and how kind of gender, uh, equality is right now, like the way it should, that, that, uh, the, 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 the sort of the gender systems that don't necessarily favor women, Let's keep that going. Economic systems that don't necessarily favor, you know, that create these big disparity. Let's keep that going. So high on economic and gender system justification than Clinton supporters, but there were no differences in general system justification, right? So generally speaking, Trump supporters and Hillary supporters liked the system, quote unquote. They were kind of pro-system justification. Likewise, again quoting, likewise, female as well as male supporters of Trump scored higher on economic and gender-specific, but not general, system justification in comparison with Clinton supporters. So again, whether you were a man or a woman, right, if you were a Trump supporter, you did tend to be more uh, down with economic system justification and gender system justification. And again, the, the, the status quo for how women are treated, the status quo for how the economy works, down with that. Let's keep that going. General system justification, though you, whether you're a man or a woman, were about scored about the same uh, as a Trump supporter as 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 you would if you were a Hillary supporter. Like generally speaking, Trump supporters and Hillary supporters agreed that they supported the system in general. Right? It was really if you started to break it down to well, what parts of the system, right? <laughs> like, are you cool with the way the economic system works right now? Are you cool with the way gender is treated right now? Like. There, you do start to see a big difference. But in general, the notion of, oh, the establishment as this big, giant thing? No, they both they both were establishment. Like, at the end of the day, um, both Hillary supporters and Trump supporters had this basic belief in the system. Um, so I found that really interesting. Um, the last point I kind of want to get into here, which is, uh, again, really kind of, you know, surprising and disturbing, but... Um, is this idea where they've looked at uh, something called benevolent sexism, which is part of a larger um, study around sexism called ambivalent sexism that kind of says there's benevolent sexism and kind of like um, hostile sexism. And the hostile sexism is more, as you might imagine, hostile, open, overt. Whereas benevolent sexism is um, around stereotypes that are less hostile. So things like someone saying, oh, women need to be protected by men, like that would be a more benevolent sexism thing because it's like, oh, no, we're doing it to protect you. That's good, right? Um, Still sexism, but in this, you know, benevolent veneer. And what they found are links between benevolent sexism and life satisfaction for men and for women. Remember what I was saying before, like, no matter, like, what side of the political spectrum you're on, you tend to be happier if you believe in the system? Like, this happens for sexism, um, and again, I'll link to the studies here. But and and I will I will note here um, 
This comes from a 2003 study, so I am hoping that in the decade plus since, things have gotten better, like, fingers crossed. But uh, to, quote, to, to, to quote from the study, um, extensive empirical evidence confirms a depressed entitlement effect wherein women pay themselves less than men for comparable work and believe the allocation fair, right? So they've asked women and, 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 and gone through studies where the women are actually reporting that they deserve less money, which is crazy, right? Um, but this was, you know, the, the, these, and I'll link to these studies, but, uh, but it's this, you know, depressed entitlement is the phrase. And you don't just see it with women, by the way. You see it with, uh, across a lot of disadvantaged groups. But, um, but that's how internalized this can become. You believe in the system so much that you're willing to be paid less for it and actually think that that's right somehow. Um, what was interesting about this is there was a kind of a follow-up study um, where they talk about how this was more prominent, right? This impressed entitlement was more prominent for completed work than for incomplete work, right? So if I say, okay, I'm going to give you a job and I'm going to pay this person more than you, um, you might be less inclined to be down with that than if you completed the work already. And the idea is that the more time you spend in the system, the more likely you are to justify it. Um, and the completed work means obviously you've already completed the work. You've already spent time in the system, so now you've kind of be, become institutionalized a little bit more. Um, so all of this is kind of horrible. Um, <laughs> but this, you know, like I said, it's the big bad. It's the one that we've kind of been building to, and it's this notion where we've taken you know these biases that we've been talking about kind of in smaller doses throughout um, throughout the season, whether it's about um, your own sense of certainty, you know, and wanting to believe you're you're right all the time, versus the group that you're in and wanting to believe they're right all the time. Well, it just keeps going right to the point where the system you're in, you want to believe it's right all the time, and it makes it very difficult—not impossible, but difficult. Like there's momentum against trying to fight that system because trying to fight the system means acknowledging the system is wrong, and acknowledging the system is wrong hurts. <laughs> it just hurts. It's, it, it it creates uncertainty, and we hate uncertainty. Um, but it's, but it's necessary, um, sometimes to do that. So if it does feel harder than it should to call the world out on being wrong, there's a reason. Um, even when the world is hurting you, there's a reason it hurts to try to call it out for hurting you. Um, so that is all, all for this week. Um, a few notes. I am, uh, on the voice of design podcast. If you Google that, it's Mike Montero mule designs, uh, podcast, um, I, I went on there um, a few weeks ago. The episode just dropped, and I'm there talking about cognitive bias. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, and we're going to take a week off. I'm going to um, be going Going to take a couple weeks off. I'm going to go into uh, South by Southwest um, and talking about cognitive bias there. I'll link to that in the uh, show notes um, as well, so you can take a look. Uh, we're going to take a couple weeks off, and then we'll be back with uh, some more episodes. Uh, that is all for the Cognitive Bias Podcast. Um, uh, this is David Dolan Thomas, and we will see you next time.